Matthew chapter 5, as we, as soon as you found that, stand with me if you can, Matthew chapter 5, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read down to verse 12 this time, all the way down to verse 12, as we talk through, now listing the, all of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This morning I'm going to talk about what it costs to be a disciple. Matthew chapter 5, just verses 1 all the way down to verse 12. Okay, we'll read aloud together. Begin. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot. We kind of read our Bible, we get through a chapter, then we read another chapter, and we read another chapter, and we forget that these are the words of God. They're just not words. These are, these are words that have life in them. They change us. They give us faith. They correct us, and they bless us. But this morning, we need you to speak to us, Lord, about this hardest beatitude. Blessed are they that are persecuted. I pray that we would take our Christianity very seriously, God, that it's going to cost. Uh, Our Western world has enjoyed the blessings of freedom to worship like has never been in history, but it's coming to an end. Lord, um, uh, I pray that we would listen to you this morning as you warned of this a long time ago, and we need to be ready. We need to be, from the heart, willing to take the suffering and the persecution. Not because it earns us anything. There is, there is no earning heaven. There is no earning grace. But there is a responsibility, Father, of if we come out of the closet, if we live the Christian life, we are going against this world. And we are going against the rulers of darkness of this world. And we need your help. And if we will stand and if we will put up with things, you bless. And I pray that we would seek that blessing more than anything else because of today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Now it says Matthew 5, 10 to 11, but it's actually 10 to 12. These three sentences in in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12, pack a wallop. You ever heard that phrase, a wallop? Because they compare two opposites. Watch along as I read out loud. You don't have to read with me this time, but I want to read just verses 10 
through 12 in Matthew 5, it says, Jesus gives this last of the eight uh, Beatitudes. He said, blessed are they which are persecuted. Is that a good word or a bad word? That's not a fun word. Blessed are they that are persecuted. Now, for righteousness' sake, you might underline that because there's a, you ought to have a good reason that you're persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What lies ahead of you is a kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now this is, this is falling on the ears of those who are following Jesus and Jesus says, be ready. Verse 12, he says, rejoice and be exceeding glad for your reward, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, he gives two important words that we got to make sure we define. The first one's blessed. Blessed is that state of being blessed by God. But what does that mean? Well, it means a person who is actually fulfilling these eight Beatitudes. And, and believe me, when you're living in the kingdom of God, this is how you live it. When you're, when you're blessed, it means you're happy, you're fortunate, you're well off. You're actually well-to-do. You may not have two pennies to rub together, but you are well-to-do in God's kingdom. You're helped by God. You're encouraged. You're actually rich in His kingdom, thriving and successful. To the world, you may look like a failure, but to God, you're all, you're all right. You're doing just fine. But He throws in something at you. He said, blessed are they that are persecuted. This is kind of the opposite. Blessed are you. And that means when somebody is seeking to hurt you, to injure you. Somebody wants to afflict you. Somebody wants to block you or punish you or hinder you, maybe harass you. Uh, simply because of a difference of religious opinion. Now, it used to be lawbreakers and criminals that were chased and convicted and put behind bars. Now it's Christians, simply because we follow different rules than the world keeps coming up with. Now, this is, I have to be honest with you, this is the hardest attitude of the Beatitudes. The, the, these Beatitudes are attitudes, or let's look at it, ways of looking at life, ways of living in the kingdom of God. I don't know if you noticed, but each one of these Beatitudes are harder than the previous one. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to tell you, this is the hardest because it is the most unfair. All of them, I think, are opposites of what we do naturally. But this one's the hardest, okay? So let's compare it to the climber. But Eric was here. Uh, uh, he likes to climb mountains and go on serious hill walking. But the Christian starts off with the first one, and that is poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which simply is blessed are you when you're broken, when you're humble, when you're at zero, when you start off at ground level. That's where we all start off, by the way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, it is easiest to humble yourself. Do not wait for God to humble you. Okay? Second stage, he says, blessed are you that are able to mourn. A lot of people only get angry. They don't know how to be sad about the condition of their heart or the condition of their family, the condition of the world. Blessed are they that mourn. Then, blessed are they that are meek. So meekness is something we strive for. I want to be meek. Not that you're weak, but that you have strength under control. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's where we have a goal of, of living godly. And then he goes on and he says, make sure in all of your desire for righteousness that you show mercy. That you don't have all the expectations of others that you don't have first on yourself. 
Blessed are the merciful. Then he says, we got to make sure we keep pure in heart. The Pharisees were great at looking clean on the outside. But in their lives were dead men's bones. They were hypocrites. They were wicked on the inside. And we need, to, we need, as Christians, to focus on making sure our heart is pure. Our mind is not filled with images and thoughts and attitudes that are destructive. And blessed are those, as we saw last week, that are peacemakers who actually can sit down and listen and can help and don't just prejudge uh, of all of the things that social media is doing to our world today. It is creating generations of prejudiced, angry, judgmental people like I've never imagined. And it is wrong. And Christians ought to, wait, 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 wait. We better wait for the facts. I'm not going to prejudge somebody. As a matter of fact, you better be the slowest to look at somebody and say, I know their problem. No, you don't, because you don't know what they're going through. So peacemakers. But the last is the hardest. And those are blessed that are persecuted. It's just, you don't start with that one. Jesus did not start off, blessed are you, they were, are you and men shall revile you. No. The ability to put up with suffering as a Christian, just for following the Lord Jesus Christ, he saved that for last. Now, persecution, I have to start off by saying this, is the normal life of the committed Christian. Let's go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in your Bible. Second Timothy, chapter three. Second Timothy, chapter three, and verse twelve starts off by saying, "Yea, and some that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." Did I read it right or wrong? Wrong. Circle that word all. Persecution is the normal life of the committed Christian. All eight of these Beatitudes are supposed to be the normal way that we live. Christians are supposed to be humble. They're supposed to be living right. They're supposed to be staying pure in heart. They're supposed to be peacemakers instead of warmongers. So why should we expect it any different when Jesus said, Blessed are you when you're persecuted. That is a normal expectation of the Christian life. The normal Christian should not be nominal. That means just, a, a, just above sea level, comfortable, minimal, putting out just the bare minimum, cowardly, gutless, faint-hearted. The normal Christian life is one that is totally committed. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there's not one of us who doesn't want our lives and our homes and our jobs, blessed by God. Amen? How many of you want to go to work tomorrow and have a good day? Amen? Every one of us. How many want to go to school and, and not be, you know, put up against the wall and teeth knocked out? None of us. We all want to live at peace. We all want to have blessings of God. We want answers to prayer. But the Bible promises that all they that decide that they're going to live godly shall what? Suffer persecution. They're going to experience it. As a matter of fact, it is a badge of honor when you get in trouble doing something right. <laughs> when I was unsaved, it was a badge of honor to be able to steal without being caught. Amen? 
I mean, you brag to your buddies. Uh, it was a badge of honor to be able to sneak out of the house. It was a badge of honor that you wore proudly when you got to watch something that, that your parents said you shouldn't watch. That was all what we were so looking forward. Now I look forward to getting trouble for doing good. Amen? Now I want, to, I want somebody to come and accuse me of doing right. That's a good thing. That's a challenge for the Christian. Now, God calls us to stand in this dark world and to not give in. Go to Ephesians, will you? Ephesians chapter 6. Go back to the left. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Ephesians 6, 13. <clears throat> Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to... What's the next word? All right, what does it mean to withstand? Okay, uh, Sean, I'm going to use you. You're looking at me and I, you're unsuspecting, so come up here, Sean. You're my enemy today. All right, let's read the verse. Watch what it says. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Today's an evil day. Okay, ready? <laughs> it's, my, it's a bad day. And having done all, what is it that I should want to do at the end of the day? I want to stay standing. So here's my problem, all right? Usually it's not a person. But even if there's a person, verse 12 says, you're not wrestling against a person, are you? But when a person, we'll call him a bully, begins to push against me and try to get me to quit. Go ahead, you try to be mean to me. Yeah, try. Go ahead. Now, what am I doing? I'm trying to withstand him. I'm trying to stay standing. And the biblical, thank you, the biblical principle, I don't want him to hurt me, all right? <laughs> He's got some strength. Remember how old I am, okay? The, the Christian... We, we worry about everything when God just says, hey, you get up in the morning, stay up. Stay standing. When the troubles come, at the end of the day, you need to be able to say, I stayed standing. I didn't cave. I didn't give in. I didn't compromise. I didn't quit. Amen. So God calls us. I'll take you to another scripture. Uh, Philippians, one page over, maybe two pages. Chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation, how you live, how you speak, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. It ought to match the gospel. That whether, Paul says, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That ye, what's those words? That you're standing fast in one spirit, that's unity, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your Sean, by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. It's just, they, it's just hell for them. But, a, but to you, it is a proof of salvation, and that it is of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on his name, but what else is given to us? To suffer for his sake. So, be ready. You may be just minding your business, but at any moment, demonic attack, bullies, bosses, uh, family, every, all hell can break loose. 
you better be ready. Now, there are different types of persecution. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, you, you heard it described there. Jesus says in verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted. Verse 11, when men shall revile you. To revile is to speak to someone abusively. To blame them, to slam them, to verbally hate them publicly. Where everybody's watching you, just, I hate you. When people are yelling at you, that's reviling. You remember on the, when Jesus was on the cross? That one thief was screaming at him saying, If you really are the Son of God, get us down from here. But you're not. He was reviling. He was mocking. He was blaspheming Jesus. Did Jesus yell back at him? How many of you have the tendency, don't raise your hand, but just sit there and nod in agreement. How many of you had the tendency, someone yells at you and you go right back at them? <laughs> it's just in us. Jesus said, when somebody's yelling at you, rejoice. <laughs> wow. Let's do another one. He says, rejoice when they say all manner of evil against you. Now, the key is falsely. Make sure it's all false. <laughs> they start finding out that you've been robbing from the, the corner central, central or something. Uh, then you ought to go to jail. But when people start making up stuff about you, you can go, Wow. So this is what it feels like to live in the kingdom of God. I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong, and they are blaming, they're attacking, they're mocking, they're lying. It's called libel. They're saying things false about me. Woohoo! <laughs> now that's hard. Would you agree? That's why Jesus left it for last. You better be working on that humility. You better be, you better be learning about how to mourn and how to be meek and how to show mercy and how to get your heart right before you try and stand up to the attack of the devil and of this world. Amen? All right. So when they come along and they despitefully use us, go back, go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 now. Just one, still in the same chapter, maybe one page over, but I say unto you, love your, now he uses the word enemies, but I'm going to say this, love those who persecute you. So you get the context here, love your enemies. Wow, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, watch it. And pray for them which despitefully, what's the next two words? Use you. How many of you love being used? I mean, that was the catchphrase of about 10 or 15 years ago that everybody was being used. But let me tell you, every politician is using you. You better wake up. Irish politicians need to be fired because they are using every political means only for their own decisions, their own plan. They're not consulting. They're not trying to, they didn't consult anybody about same-sex marriage. They didn't consult about abortion. They just did it. They use the votes. They use people. They use us to get this world agenda that's not going anywhere except to the Antichrist. But anyway, when people use you, Jesus said, bless them. <laughs> Pray for them. Don't kill them. Uh, he goes on, and down in, uh, uh, still, now go to chapter 10. Jesus, throughout his whole ministry, prepares his disciples for what was ahead. Matthew chapter 10, verse 17. 10, 17. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, 
and they will scourge you in their synagogues. What's scourge mean? That's whip. That's beat. They will chase you from city to city, verse 23 in chapter 10. But when they persecute you in this city, flee unto another. Just leave. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over all the city of Israel till the Son of Man become. They will chase you. They will run you out of your house. They will uh, uh, um, force you to get your kids to move to another school or to homeschool. People are, are facing persecution like we have no idea, and we're just beginning to really face it here. Look at chapter 10, verse 28. They will kill and murder, 10:28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, thank God. But rather fear him, God, which is able to kill both body, soul and body in hell. He'll even bring, look at, uh, I'll have you go to Luke chapter 21. Uh, our enemy, our adversary, the devil, will cause that we'll be brought before the highest courts and kings. Luke 21, 12. Luke 21, 12. But before all these, and he's describing the things of the earth, uh, the, the tribulation that's coming. He says, before all these, they shall lay their hands on you. Jesus is talking to his own disciples. And they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers, all for my name's sake. So remember, they'll also put people in prison. It's quite, do you know it's quite common that Christians, when they get saved, they lose their freedom, they're put in prison. In, in so much of the world, a pastor who decides to teach the Bible in Malaysia is doing it, threat of being imprisoned for the next 10 to 20 years. In China, if you do not use the Chinese Bibles that they provide, not good Bibles, if you do not register with, with the government, if you step out of line and you teach just the gospel and you do things just like Jesus did, you will be in prison. It is impossible for us to comprehend what people in North Korea who hear the gospel and when they get saved, what they face. It's unbelievable the risk of their life. This is the list that Jesus says, be ready for. You know, um, all they're doing is trying to do the right thing. But that's what it's like living in the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world and of the devil. Now, there are lots of examples of persecution. I'm going to give you a little background of history. You know, there are many genocides. There have been so many genocides throughout history. It's just embarrassing. Stalin killed 30 million Georgians down in uh, southern Russia. Uh, Mao Zedong forced uh, the long march in China. Millions of people died. Hitler attempted to exterminate all Jews in Europe. Genocide seems to be part of history. But there have been times of intense persecution, specifically against Bible-believing Christians. And that came from the very start. Do you remember why Jesus was put on that cross? Persecution. He was hated by the Pharisees. He was seen as a nuisance by the Romans. The people cried out, crucify him. He's, we don't like him anymore. <laughs> from his very start, Shortly after Christ's crucifixion, 
his followers, taking, think of the name. Jesus was crucified. He was brutally tortured, brutally murdered. And here are people saying, I'm a Christian. I'm with him. They're, they're coming out and identifying themselves with what the world thought was a criminal and a dead man. And Christians, when they came out of the closet, so to speak, they were risking their lives. From its very start, Christianity has had to face persecution. First by the Jewish religious authorities, then by the Roman magistrates. Even though we in the Western world have a lot of freedom, the majority of the world does not enjoy such freedom. One of the first Christian martyrs was a young man named Stephen. You know all Stephen did? He said to a bunch of religious muckety-mucks, uh, the Pharisees, he said, you killed the God of glory. You killed the Son of God. And he says, kill him. Do you know why the Western world has something called free speech? Because Christians influenced lawmakers and said, enough is enough. Quit killing people who tell the truth. Now people can say just about anything, and guess what they're doing? They're shutting up people who tell the truth. There was a man standing there watching Stephen be stoned. He was holding on to the coats and the cloaks of all the people who were stoning him. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. If you start in, in just the previous verse, the last part of, verse, of chapter 7. And uh, verse 58, 758, the Pharisees cast Stephen out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul of Tarsus. And they stoned Stephen as they were calling upon God, saying, and he, as he was calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse 1, 8, 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great, what's the word? Here comes the persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Look at verse 3, and Saul, he made havoc of the church. How many of you know what havoc means? Just put three children in your sitting room with whipped cream. <laughs> they will have havoc. I mean, um, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. But one marvelous day, on the road up to Lebanon, up to a city called Damascus, Jesus stopped him and says, You know, Paul, Saul, you're persecuting me. Why are you fighting me? And Saul said, You're alive? You're alive! I, I, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he surrendered that moment, and in an instant, he became the best friend of Christianity. He started living his life, tearing the world up, turning it upside down with the gospel. And believe me, guess what he faced? The very persecution he had brought on others, now he faced. Only Christ would take somebody who would know what they're facing and what they were able to do through these, these, these Christians. I mean, only salvation would make somebody switch sides and then willingly take that brunt and take that suffering. Saul of Tarsus got thoroughly converted, wouldn't you agree? 
But that was only the beginning. You ever read about a guy named Nero? Nero turned the people in Rome against the Christians, and the first Roman persecution of Christians was ordered by Nero in 64 AD. He basically was blaming the Christians for a great fire in Rome. Now, the idea is he actually started the fire himself, and because he wanted to clear a whole way so he could build a palace there, which, by the way, he did. But, and they, they, it's not quite confirmed, but they say that he was up there, and they call it a fiddle, but it was a harp. He was playing while the center of Rome was burning. He was up there singing and playing. He kind of was a little wacko. But guess who he blamed for that fire that killed and slaughtered tens of thousands of Roman citizens? He blamed the Christians. So he ordered the Christians to be rounded up, all of them, and to be killed. How do you tell a Christian? You bring a statue of the emperor there into the house. You say, call him Lord. And they go, we can't. He says, you're a Christian. You're with me. Bow down to this idol. Say, I pray to this idol, and you'll be fine. And the Christians wouldn't do it, and they were rounded up. Some of them were torn apart by dogs. Others were burnt alive as human torches, lighting like nightlights at night down the road. Emperor after emperor persecuted up until uh, the, the Edict of Milan in 313 A.D. under Constantine. Almost 300 years of persecution. I can't comprehend that. We have no idea persecution. They were rounded up, and these people were, were they weren't soldiers, they weren't uh, well-armed, they weren't um, defending themselves. They were gathered into crowds of thousands of people in the Colosseum. They would be uh, placed into the middle of the Colosseum, and they would let loose lions that had not eaten for a week. And for fun, they would watch the lions tear them apart while the Christians sat in the middle and sang. That was a persecution. I don't know what you were going through your head, but those people were a better people. Because they didn't back down. They decided to stay standing. Amen. You not only had Emperor Neo, you had the Muslims throughout history constantly driving Christians from all the Muslim lands. And by the way, they're still doing it. Did you know Saddam Hussein was a nutcase? But did you know, before they got rid of Saddam Hussein, there were somewhere on the order of about 60,000 different kinds of Christians allowed to exist in Iraq. Now there are almost none. Something's going on. If you do find yourself living in a land and you're not a Muslim, and it's a Sharia law, you must pay a super tax in order to not be a Muslim in their land. If you do get a Muslim converted, they are risking, and you are risking, being killed for converting a Muslim. Now, don't just look at that. The Roman Catholic Church has its own history to deal with. Probably the second largest persecutors of biblical Christianity is the Roman Catholic Church. For over 1,300 years, the Catholic Church has slaughtered Bible believers simply because they didn't attend Mass, simply because they didn't baptize their babies, simply because they didn't agree with transubstantiation in the Eucharist. By the way, I don't agree with any of that either. The Catholic Church denied anyone access to the Scriptures, and they tortured and burned anyone 
that was caught teaching the scriptures or translating them into the common language of the people. So what you have is a lot of Catholic history, what we call the Dark Ages, of people being rounded up and tortured. This is the uh, St. Bartholomew Day Massacre, and people being burned at the stake. That's history. Now, your kids are not learning this. Uh, I don't know. I didn't learn it until I became a Christian. I don't know why they hide all this. I don't know why we don't learn what's reality out there and that we don't trust our government. We don't trust the leaders. We hold them accountable to law, not to just let them do what they want. Amen? Because one of these days they're going to make a law against you. Modern persecutions. You know, some of the, some of the persecutions that you'll experience are subtle. Like when somebody just won't, won't associate with you. You know, these guys over here won't sit with you guys over there. You ever notice that? That's a subtle form of persecution. Come on, take it on, amen. <laughs> Maybe ignoring you. I mean, I don't know how many times Cynthia comes up to me. Where are you, Cynthia? Where'd she go? She, are, just, she just, are you back there? Cynthia will come up to me and she'll shake her hand. I'm not even seeing it. She goes, you're ignoring me. And I, I didn't even see you. Oh, but I, I'm using you now despitefully using you. Um, but the truth is, when somebody does ignore you, does it hurt? No. Boy, you're a better woman. <laughs> but there are people who, I mean, subtle, maybe somebody just talks about you behind your back, maybe embarrasses you. I've known people, uh, when I was working, man, I, I, I handed out gospel tracts, I invited people to church, I told them they need to be born again, and then the very next day, they would tell color joke, a filthy joke, right in my presence, just there. Ledbetter, isn't that funny? <laughs> and I go, you snake. You're trying to rile me up, man. Then there are those who are just quite blatant. Like when they openly laugh at you for carrying a Bible, for praying before you eat a dinner. You know, if you ever do that at, at work, you ever do that at the restaurant or whatever, and you say, let's bow and pray. And you pray out loud. Now, I've known some guys who pray loud enough for the whole room to hear. But anyway, you just pray out loud. Father, thank you for this food. Thank you for my family. Bless this, uh, this meal and this time together. We love you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And then you got 16 eyes looking at you. And some are going, that's a little persecution. Maybe when you're at school and you're a Christian and they, people start knowing, oh, that's a Christian, and they push you down at school. They play tricks on you. People who work on a job, they're let go from the jobs because the boss will see you as a threat and will keep everybody else who are coming in late on Mondays because they're drunk. Some are, are, are um, some have their car tires slashed, windows broken, others are stoned. Church buildings are burned down. Pastors are beaten. Pastors' daughters are raped. And the list goes on and on. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 now. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Speaking of faith in... And Paul says, what shall, verse 32, what shall I more say about faith and about living by faith? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets who 
through weapons. Is that what it says? No, no, no. Through faith, verse 33, they subdued kingdoms. They, they wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouth of lions. Who was that? That's Daniel. Verse 34, they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Wait a minute, is there a full stop there or is it just two dots? It's a pause. Take a breath. That's all the great stuff that happened by faith. But let me show you the other side. Uh, where are we? I know, I thought I had it. And others, thank you, <laughs> I kept looking down further. And others were, what's the next word? Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, whippings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Be destitute. They had no money. They had no food. Afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Just stop there. Listen, most of Christianity outside of Europe live under constant persecution. You need to let that sink in. There are some people here who live in Ireland now because they had to flee persecution. Right now, there are tens of millions of Christians worldwide living in fear and fleeing from constant persecution, religious persecution, and they flee from the beatings and the rapings and starvation simply because they will not bow to some cultural idol or deny their faith in Jesus. Just, just remember, it took courage for some lawmakers 300 years ago to start to stand up to the laws and say, it's not right what you're doing to slaves. It's not right what you're doing to children in the, in the, the, uh, the uh, labor laws. It's not right. And they stood up and they changed laws so that we had freedoms that we have today. Persecution is coming back. Revelation 13, go to the right. Last book, there's coming a future persecution. Revelation 13, verse 11. Looking into the future, John sees this. John says, Revelation 13, 11, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and he causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast. Now, if you don't know anything about the prophecy, he's dealing with the Antichrist and a guy called the false prophet. So this false prophet showing up here, the false, you get the word prophet, he's a religious leader. And this false prophet comes along, he has all the power of the first beast, the Antichrist. And he causes, let's put this word in there, he forces the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He's going to be miraculously healed. And he, the false prophet, doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven and the earth, on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Say unto them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. 
And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what? That's persecution. He's going to create something like what we have today with our computer screens. Can you imagine somebody from 100 years ago sitting down at your computer and you talking to your sister and they're going, they're not there, it's an image. Whatever the Antichrist is going to have is going to be in every home like our computers. It's going to be forced on the whole world like all of the, the, the culture is now. And when that image appears, the whole world is going to be forced to bow down and worship. And if you don't, killed. Um, That's where the mark comes in, verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, everyone to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. There's coming a persecution. Now, sometimes people say, well, why? Why does the devil hate us so much? Well, there's some really good reasons why God allows persecution in the life of the Christian. First of all, it's not because we commit crimes. At least we shouldn't be. You know, if you do do a crime, then you should do the time. Amen. You say, I'm a Christian pastor, and I, I, I've been stealing from the boss, and now he's, he's, he's called the guard, and I'm going to go to jail. You know what I'm going to say? I'll come visit you. Amen. I'm not going to plead for your leniency. I think you ought to go to jail. Amen. I love you. I, I'll come and stand with you. I'll pray for you. We'll do Bible studies. But if you've done a crime, you should do the time. Amen? So Christians are not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm so persecuted. No, you got caught. And you did wrong, and now you need to pay for it. Amen? Face up to it. But what I watch today is that people are making up crimes to convict Christians of wrongdoing when they're not doing anything wrong. How many of you know about the Asher's Bakery over in Northern Ireland? How many of you know about those people? Hmm? You know, that couple, all they did was they said to somebody who said, we want to make a cake that, that honors our wedding. It's a homosexual wedding. And they says, there are plenty of others. Can you just go down there? We'll do anything. But we're not going to make and create a cover that honors the LGBTQ, RST, UV, WXYZ crowd. Now, they didn't use that word. They were very pleasant. Well, they were sued, and they're still being sued, and they're still in the high court. There is a distinct attack against somebody who's just saying, no, I have a personal conviction against honoring what I believe is a sinful lifestyle. By the way, I do believe it is a sinful lifestyle. And they are making laws against conscience and against biblical convictions. I don't believe anybody should be forced to do the bidding of a pedophile or of a queer or a fortune teller? Do you want your children to draw a picture at school of a fortune teller talking to the dead? And yet they're forcing bakeries and companies to do things that go against their conscience about what is right or what is wrong. By the way, lawmakers are now making it a crime to call out sexual sin as a sin. When you say abortion is murder, that's called, a hate, that's called a hate crime because you're upsetting somebody. Uh, somebody died. Somebody was murdered, and I'm trying to call people's attention to it, but I'm to blame. When you call the lifestyle of homosexual sinful and wrong, you're, you're, you're in Facebook jail for a month. So it's not because we're actually committing crime. We're just 
The life of Jesus, by the way, Jesus never once said adultery was okay, did he? Jesus never once said it was okay now to be homosexuals. Jesus never once said it was okay to steal. It was never okay to lie. He never once said it's okay now. Sin has changed. No, he never did that. He loves sinners. But he rebuked sin, didn't he? And he calls us to be free from sin, not to live in sin. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not to stay in them. So make sure that you're not persecuted because you're doing wrong, but because you're a light in the world. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 14. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, Ye followers of mine, ye are the light of the... And a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So you're a bright light, and guess what people do when their eyes are closed or when they're sleeping and you shine a bright light in their face? Guess what, you, guess what they do? They shove you away. So you will be persecuted for three reasons. Number one, because you're trying to live right. He says, blessed are ye when men shall persecute you for righteousness' sake. When you're trying to live just like Jesus did. You'd think that people would appreciate that. But you know what I found in my Bible in John chapter 3? He says, this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light. So when you show them the light, they go, get that away from me. And you go, wow. And they turn against you. The second reason why we're going to be persecuted is because we preach right. Do you know what our church is? Our church is kind of unusual. The main reason why we go to church is not for ourselves, not for the tea or the cake, by the way. It was a nice cake, amen? But we don't go to church, and we, we, we have great fellowship, but we go to church for this book. We come, and we spend most of our time hearing this book preached, amen? That's the whole purpose. That's the preaching of the cross. It's them that perish. It's always going to be foolishness. But in us which are saved, it's the power of God. Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 11, he says, I get in trouble because I preach the cross. I don't preach health, welfare, and prosperity. I preach death of Christ in the place of sinners. And I preach that you must pick up your cross and follow him even if it costs you everything. And so he was hated. He says this in Galatians 4, 16, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You're going to get in trouble when you just expose people's sins, when you just tell them, that's a lie, that's not true. John the Baptist, listen, John the Baptist is out there preaching. One day, Herod, sitting out there enjoying the good preaching, like some of you are right this morning, because I haven't hit you yet, verbally. But uh, I, haven't, I haven't hit your sacred cow. But as, as uh, John the Baptist saw Herod in Mark chapter 6, he went, Herod, it's wrong for you to have your brother's wife. You're living in sin. You know what? Herod, boy, went back and he told mama. Sweetheart, I was down there at the church and that preacher, he pointed that big bony finger at me and he said I was living in sin. <laughs> I can't handle it. You know what Herodias said? Let's kill him. So she used her daughter to convince daddy to capture uh, um, John the Baptist in prison, and then to ultimately behead him. 
Because old John called him out and says, you're wrong and you're sinful living that way. Amen? Now, we don't make it a way of life that we just go around telling people they're wrong. But there are some times where you do have to say what you're doing is wrong. And you'll get in trouble for it. <laughs> Thirdly, it's for Christ's sake. You know, the whole reason why trouble comes into a Christian's life is not, it's not about you. It's to bring all attention to Jesus. That is so unbelievably hard to grasp. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. What was Jesus saying to Saul here when he stopped him dead in his tracks? Verse 4, he, Saul, fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou? What? All right, this is the thing that was haunting Saul. Every time he caught a Christian, every time he tried to force them to blaspheme, every time he, he tortured them and he ended up murdering them, there was a sneaking suspicion in his mind that he was wrong. Jesus said, why are you persecuting? Why do you hate me so much? In verse 5, and he said, who art thou, Lord? Is that you? And he said, and the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, the point is this. The real reason why people are fighting you is because they're fighting Jesus in you. It's for, and really, you say, why would Jesus allow that? I'm going to say what I'll say later. He allows you to hurt at the hands of someone else because you're already saved. You're already in the kingdom. You already have the peace of God and the peace with God. You already have a home in heaven. You already have the spirit of God. You already have the truth. They're lost. And God, at that moment, is more concerned about them seeing Jesus than seeing you seek revenge. Amen? Because if you strike back, they're not going to see Jesus, are they? They're going to see you. You know, when you just follow Jesus instead of Beyonce or George Clooney or Lady Gaga or Justin Bieber, when you just follow Jesus, you'll get in trouble. But you know what? When you get in trouble, people won't be thinking about you just like that Jesus fellow. Amen. That's for his sake. Where persecution going to come from? Well, it comes from four areas, one from the world. Let me just read it for you. I won't take it for time. John 15, 19 says, If ye were of the world, the world would love you. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, tells you that a lot of our persecution comes from Satan himself. He just, he just hates your very existence. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. But woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. And the devil is so angry that we even exist. You'll find that even religious people will persecute a Bible believer. It's happened throughout history. But even your own family, Matthew 13 now, Matthew chapter 13. 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. Matthew 13, 53. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, and so much that they were astonished. And they said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Where did he get this? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence hath this man all these things? And they were what? They were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor. Oh, a prophet always has honor. Save or accept in his own country, and sometimes even in his own house. Listen to Luke 21. You shall be betrayed both by parents and your own brethren and kinfolks and friends. And some of you they shall cause to be put to death, and you shall be hated of all men for my sake. You know, that's never a reason. You're, you're a family, you sit down at Christmas and you're like, and they're all talking about Santa, and you say, and they say to your kids, and they say, what's Santa bringing you? And the kids go, uh, we don't believe in Santa. <laughs> How dare you defile and ruin your child's Christmas? I don't know. You'll find out your family just disowned you, didn't want to have you for Christmas. There's no reason to hate your family. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. We're commanded to get over it and to love them anyway when they hurt you. There's no reason to hate our nation either. You know, uh, uh, every chance you need to pray for our nation, pray for Leo Varadkar, pray for Simon Harris. I'm praying very hard for him. Don't ask me what I'm praying, but I'm praying for him. Because God wants to save them, doesn't he? Paul says, I exhort therefore, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable will in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. How are Christians supposed to respond when they get this kind of persecution? Well, love your persecutors. We already read it. Bless them. Do good for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Suffer at the hands of those who hurt you. The, um, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 25. Oh, Moses. Look at verse 24. Hebrews eleven twenty-four. By faith, Moses. When he had the chance to, big, to be the big boss, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, somebody's hurting you. Now, you know, there are times where you defend yourself, defend your family. We're not talking about being an absolute pacifist. But you know, when you can't change something, you're married to somebody who's just making your life miserable for a while, Jesus said, you're blessed. Especially if they're blessing you because you're doing right. Because you're loving them back because you've got Christ as your priority and not revenge. Suffer. Stay peaceful. Rejoice. Because you know what we have at the end? We win. 
We have all kingdom ahead of us. I'm in the kingdom of God, but there's a kingdom coming called the kingdom of heaven on earth, and it's going to be marvelous, and I get free. They don't get it. And whoever's hurting me right now, this is as, as good as it'll ever get. And I don't want anybody to go to hell. I hope you don't want any either. You rejoice. Be exceeding glad, he says. Sing when you're persecuted. Go to Acts chapter 16. We sang that song, God wants to hear you sing. This is where it comes from. Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, 25. I want you to go back to um, verse 22. 16, 22, And the multitude rose up together against them, Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ran off their clothes, and they commanded to beat them. And when they had laid on them many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such charge, thrust them, threw them into the inner prison, and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praises unto God. And the prisoners, what? Wow. So that leads us to the next thing. Um, the purpose of persecution is to identify us. You see, those other prisoners in that prison would never have known that Paul and Silas were Christians. All right. They would never have known that Paul and Silas were Christians until while everybody else is sobbing and crying in pain and they heard singing in the innermost jail. And when those, when those jail cells broke open and their chains fell off, not one of those prisoners moved because they said, there are Christians here. And whatever they got, I want. So sometimes your persecution is for God to be able to say, these are my children. These are my followers. So when all hell breaks loose in your house, it's because maybe the devil's throwing it at you, but God's going, I want to show him off. I want to show my Job to you. I want to show this, this person who's suffering and show them how strong they are by my strength. Secondly, it's so that God can use us. You know, Jesus said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony. So they can hear what you have to say. I, you, if I went up right now and tried to talk to Leo Varadkar, wouldn't get anywhere. But you know, God has a way, if he gets me, in, if he allows me to get in trouble or he puts me into a situation, all of a sudden, God can put me right to the person who I never would meet any other way so that he can hear the gospel. God took Paul, and he put him in prison in Rome, and he got to stand before Nero and give him the gospel. And Nero never would have heard the gospel from Paul if it weren't for Paul allowing himself to suffer. You see that thing? Third, it was to scatter his people. We read there that when... when um, uh, uh, Saul went into a, a village or whatever, the Christians would scatter. What was going on? In Acts 1-8, Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to tell everybody about me, both in Jerusalem and also in Judea and in Samaria, and I want you to get as far as the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, you know what? They weren't doing that. <laughs> so God said, let them loose, and out comes Saul, and Saul drives them out. So next time you're like, man, everything's pushing me out of my, my neighborhood. I'm not able to afford this house. We're having to move here. 
Don't just say that you're a failure. Don't just say that everything's against you. Say, maybe God wants me now to witness in a new neighborhood. Maybe this tough time in my life is so that I can be scattered. And lastly, to bless his people. You see, there, God uses trouble. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, when you have a thorn, when you have a problem, when you have a messenger of Satan buffeting you, Jesus said, now you'll need my grace. Now, you've always needed it, but now you'll know you need it. And so there are reasons why we face persecution. But there are such great rewards. Go back to Matthew 5 and we'll finish. Matthew 5, in verse 10. Again, blessed, happy, fortunate are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, rejoice and be, how glad? Eh, gladder than you've ever been before. For great is your reward in heaven. So, I tell you what, there is real, solid, powerful joy when you get in trouble for doing right. We will go there, but the disciples, the apostles, were caught, they were beaten, they were rebuked by the, by the uh, Sanhedrin, by the Jewish council. And when they left the council, you know what the disciples were doing with all those whelps on their back? You know what they were doing? They were doing an Irish jig. They were counting it joy that they were found worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. They took it literally. They said, I guess we got to rejoice. And they did. And you'll find treasures in heaven. Say, how do I make treasures in heaven? Put up a trouble. Put up a trouble. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. All that's ahead. Glory, which shall be revealed in us in the future. Souls getting saved. You know, your testimony shines brightest when you're real. When your pockets are full of money, when you got that new car out the front, when, when, when the wife and the children are all lined up in obedience, never happens, and, and the dog and the cat are getting along, you're no good for nobody. Everybody just envies you. But when everything is wrong and you still sing and you're still in church, no matter how hard it is to get there, Mona. And when you, that was, anyway, you'll, you'll, you'll figure that one out in a minute. No matter how long the, the battle is, no matter what you go through, People go, they've got something. Souls get saved by reality, folks. And your faith is strengthened because that is not going to leave you weak. When you go through a trial and you trust the Lord and you rejoice, there is a strength that happens in the believer. Lastly, God is honored by your life. Right now, I don't think anything, anybody gets honor out of my life when I'm just living for myself. When I live for Jesus Christ and the world throws everything it can against me, the devil throws everything he can against me, God gets the honor. It just happens that way. Christians sort of are just a mirror. How many times, I mean, when you look at the mirror, are you looking at the glass, at the mirror, or are you looking at the person in the mirror? I hope you're looking at the person in the mirror. Well, we're the mirror. And when people look at us, they should see the person in the mirror, which is Jesus Christ. We'll find out it's worth it all. A Christian, you're in the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, 
and you will be hated for it. Persecution, hardship, and the loss of life is just going to be a way of life for Christians more and more as we go into the future. i got to ask you something. Have you ever lost anything, maybe a job, maybe a friend, simply because you gave them the gospel, maybe simply because you stood for right? There are some good reasons for persecution. One is, as I, as I showed you, um, let me get my page here, because you're doing right. You're speaking up for God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need some Christians to come out of the closet. There's some right responses to persecution, and there are great rewards. But this is not how you earn heaven, folks. This is how you just live for God. You, nobody can ever earn their way to God. Jesus said, I am the way. So when you start following Jesus, just realize you're going the opposite direction to everyone else around you. And whatever it will cost you, you'll say he's worthy. Let's stand, let's bow in prayer. Father, this morning, we have a challenge to us that will go against every fiber of our being. And that's to put up with persecution. Put up with suffering because we're Christians. And there are too many people in this room who've never, ever suffered one bit as a Christian. And they've gotten in trouble they may have even gotten in trouble with the law. But they've never gotten in trouble because they gave out a gospel tract or because they stood up for right or because they just lived right and they walked away from sin and temptation. There are too many of us that have not allowed ourselves to struggle. We're content with being zeros, being nominal being average, being like everybody else around us. And so the world doesn't see Christianity anymore. They don't know where to find them because we're not sticking out. We're not willing to go against the flow. We're not willing to suffer. Moses chose to step down and to suffer with the people of God when he could have had everything else. He gave it up. He's a good example. Paul chose to now accept the sufferings that were thrown at him that he used to before throw at believers because you're worthy, Father. This morning I pray that this week we'll probably become more aware of little subtle push against us, demonic attacks that just want to get us to quit or to, give us to get us to give up or get angry or fight back. Lord, I pray that because of your challenge this morning, we'd say, nope, nope. I want to rejoice. I want to live in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.